This is an Equity Bates Media podcast. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Have a listen to this. Have a listen to this. Now, that kind of talk this week dragged Australia's share market to a two-year low. There are, of course, complex He was the big spender. The big spender. Doing the grocery shopping could take a huge chunk out of the family budget. And that's finance. Hello and welcome to Comedian versus Economist. We demystify the world of money and help you get a handle on the bigger picture. My name's Adam and we're joined as always by my little older brother and real life economist, Thomas. Hi, Thomas. Yeah, hello again, Adam. How are you? I'm doing well, thank you. Thomas, you haven't got many friends, but maybe (laughs) some of our listeners do. So we'd really love it if you could uh, spread the word of CVE, tell your friends, give us a shout out. That'd be much appreciated. Rate and review the show too. That always helps us out as well. As always, massive show coming up. if any of them want to go for a beer sometime, just hit me up. <laughs> so we just had a conversation about how we could ask uh, graciously for it and that was the best. Uh, we had a bit of a disagreement about how we should approach it. So I felt the need to just bring attention to the fact Thomas hasn't got any friends. He does. He's got lots of friends. But anyway, that's not all we're here for. Massive joke coming up that we need to get into. Uh, Aussie retail sales are booming everywhere except South Australia. Uh, is it just because when you live in the most livable city in the world, you don't need to fill your life with meaningless material possessions? Or is it just because the shops aren't open past 6pm? We'll find out. A lot of talk about wage rises this week. We surveyed 100 people and asked them, do you deserve a pay rise? The most popular answer was, yeah, Ken Oath, mate. Uh, we'll see what Albanese and others think, though. Uh, we'll also be taking a look at the war on terror How did a cryptocurrency backed by another cryptocurrency which promised sky-high returns possibly fail? And are there implications for the broader financial system? Plus, we've got more of your listener questions coming up a little later in the show, so stick around for that. You just might be famous. But first, let's get a score update on the ASX share market trading game. Thomas, how much are you losing by now? Quite a lot. $7,000 $7,000 I'm down since <laughs> since the start. So, Ouch. Yeah. My dogs didn't get up in the race. Uh, yeah, I'm down $7,000 now. Yeah. Where, where are you ranking? What's your ranking? Uh, 6,450. So I think mm. I'm, I'm actually up a few p- points from uh, with a bullet on where I was last time. But. <laughs> Just shooting for the moon. Mm. Right, I'm sitting at 5,163. Got a nice little, mm. little bump today, uh, up 1.875% in the portfolio, which takes me back up to 45,000. I, I should point out there was, I think, the last time we checked in, which was a couple of weeks ago, I was sitting around 50,000 or just under. So I'm down about four or 5,000 since then. And I do seem to recall that I made the suggestion that we should all go to cash as the equity mates league and mm. uh, hope for a market crash. In hindsight, mm. hindsight's a wonderful thing in investing. <laughs> it's a, a wonderful <laughs> lesson there. 
that if we'd have all mm. done that, we'd all be much better off than where we are now. But uh, a little bit of a bounce today, so maybe that'll continue through the week. It probably depends mm. on what the US does overnight. Yeah, but it's been a, it's been a tough time for markets. Markets are in the wobbles from all sorts of directions. I mean, the interesting thing mm. about about it right now is you if you look at the the latest economic data we have, it's pointing to a pretty strong economy. So everything's mm. everything's pumping along as 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 kind of as good as it gets. Like the Roy Morgan Business Survey was out; that was actually picked up in the month despite the rate hikes. The businesses just shrugged that off. We got got a big bump out right. of the accommodation and food services sector that was particularly hard hit in COVID. So that's bouncing back. They're optimistic. Um, retail sales spiked again in the month. They're now like like fourteen percent above trend, about where they would have been if the pre-COVID trend had continued. So retail sales is, has boomed right through the pandemic. So it's yeah, thumping along. Isn't inflation a problem for retail though? Are they why why is retail kind of doing so well in in an inflationary? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, environment. Yeah, I don't I don't know for now. I mean, they're real. I think they're real numbers. So they have mm. yeah, they're inflation well, adjusted good. out. <laughs> As opposed to the other numbers that we made yeah. up. Imaginary numbers. Mm. Like, yeah, I've seen retail sales come in at negative root one for a while. But it hasn't, hasn't shown up yet. Um, and, you know, consumers coming into, you know, coming into the rate hike at least, they were, you know, fairly optimistic. They were sitting on a good war chest of money as, as we keep getting told. So, yeah, just retail sales bounced back. There was a lockdown prior to that. So you sort of had this sort of lockdown sort of, pivot away from services into into goods and then lockdowns came off and so they went back into services. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, but there's a lot of money in the system. That's that's the basic story. There was just a lot of money pumped into the system. Everything's tight. Wages are rising. Job vacancies are through the roof. It's, it's the hottest mm. labour market in a generation. Like all of the mm. sort of the, your real-time indicators are looking pretty bumper. Yeah, although I did notice that the... Retail data, retail sales data was from March. So mm. we're now into May. It's a bit backwards. So looking, yeah. we can't get too excited, can we? Like there was a consumer confidence survey mm. that was done just now <laughs> and everyone's feeling pretty glum. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so so could it just, is it just old data that we're dealing with here that, that takes a while to catch up on what the good times and the what we think are the good times have kind of passed by the time we're reading the, the data? Yeah, that does happen to an extent, yeah. Being an economist is always trying to steer a car by looking in the rearview mirror. It's sort of how, mm, how say, how done the same goes. <laughs> the data is pointing to us coming off a very strong period, but we're looking ahead, and this is why markets have had a, had a rough month or so, is that mm. looking ahead, there's a lot of dark clouds on the horizon. You've still got the war in Ukraine. You've still got uh, in, interest rates rising in the US. You've got inflation on the on the lift here, interest rates rising as well. So, yeah, that's that's enough to give the market and sort of pause for thought and create a, create mm. a difficult trading environment, we could say. That's interesting. Like I looked through some of your charts that you sent me and mm. department stores were up big, mm. which I think that's good. Like I, I was a bit concerned through COVID once everyone got the hang of like online shopping that we would just stop going out. And so it's interesting to see the department stores are doing well, which means people are kind of returning to shop there, whereas I thought a lot of, a lot of that might have moved 
online. Like department stores mm. are great for getting your size, obviously, but I didn't mm. think people were actually buying. <laughs> you go in, you work out how, what, size, what size shoes you need and then you go and find the cheapest price online. Mm. It's kind of good in it. Like it's kind of encouraging to think that people still want to get out and, and shop. Yeah. I mean, this, this shopping is a unique experience, I guess. it's Some people really enjoy it. So is anyone doing particularly well out of... Oh, it's, it's still early days to see. Like it's, gonna, it, like it's changing the story, yeah. Like mm. every t- yeah, consumer-facing business is probably in, in a nice spot now, but then as, as rate hikes start to eat into household budgets, that'll, that'll put a bit of pressure on, on, the, on consumer, face, consumer staples, that sort of business. Mm. Yeah, Wes Farmers was out the other day saying that it's they see it as an opportunity, the inflationary environment, because it's just it's just a dynamic, and they're well placed with their stores to grow market share. So saying like as as prices rise in different different sectors, sort of business efficiencies come more into the fore, and if you can stay on top of your costs better than your competitors, then you can grow grow your market share, and so that mm. we'll we'll see a bit of that happening. You know they're they're backing themselves. It's interesting. Like I looked at West Farmers and they've got Bunnings, Kmart, Coles, and I realised that I shop almost exclusively at West Farmers. Yeah, right. <laughs> like even my lithium I get from Covalent Lithium, which turns out to <laughs> the West Farmers company. <laughs> All right, Thomas. There was a lot of talk this week about raising the minimum wage. In fact, we got a question from Jared who sent us an email: cve at equitymates.com. And Jared wanted to know if uh, Anthony Albanese's proposal for a minimum wage increase is going to trigger a wage price spiral. So first of all, what's Anthony Albanese proposing? Yeah, he came out. This sort of seemed to come off the cuff, but then Labor doubled down on it and sort of backed the proposal. So he's talking about... <laughs> the boss said, what? <laughs> yeah, sure, that's what, that's what we are planning it all along, man. <laughs> he, he came out and, and was sort of said, do you support people getting a, a wage increase in line with inflation. He's like, yep, absolutely. Mm. And then that became more formal saying he would go to the Fair Work Commission. So the Fair Work Commission meets every year to decide how much to increase the minimum wage by, but not just the minimum wage, all the wards. So it tends to pass it on. And typically they um, increase the minimum wage by and the rest of the awards by the same amount. So you sort of like throughout the award system, everything just goes up 2% or whatever it is. Right. But it doesn't have to be that way. So he came out and initially, so then he said, yeah, I'm going to back 5.1% for award workers. And then he's like, okay, no, actually just, I'm just talking about minimum wage earners here. So people that on the, on the lowest, lowest levels going to get mm. a 5.1% and that he would put in a review. So the, the Fair Work Commission does this review and they call for submissions and the industry groups and the unions, they all put in submissions. And they think we think wages should go up this much and we think it should go up that much. And then the commission gets together and debates it and they come up with a number and that's that's what happens. Now, typically right. the government doesn't put in a proposal, but Anthony Albanese is saying that they would, if Labor wins, they would put in a proposal and they would push for a 5.1% increase for minimum wage earners, which is you know a pretty strong number. And mm. everyone, and that kind of shocked people a bit. A lot of, particularly in the business community, were a little bit outraged and saying, "Well, this is going to create inflation and it's going to create all sorts of problems." But then labor, labor sort of then was a bit like paused for a bit, but then went, "Actually, no," because if you if you're arguing against that, what you're arguing for is that people on minimum wage or on awards should have a real pay cut. If you're not, if they're not mm. going to keep pace with inflation, then you're talking about a real pay cut. 
And it's not only that because it's 5.1%, but that's backward looking. So inflation's headline inflation is 5.1% now, but most economists think we're going to like 6 7% in the near term, some, some point through the year. So you, you're not only not keeping pace with the current rate of inflation, you're actually falling behind as inflation continues to grow. So you talk so to argue against this proposed like this idea of a 5.1% for minimum wage saying that is, is to say that minimum people on the minimum wage should have a real pay cut that their spending power should go down and labor So that's what we hear about we hear about real wages people mm. people talk there's been a lot of chatter about you know real wages have been declining for whatever however long mm. um, and that's because inflation's going up but but people's the money you get every week in your pay packet isn't buying as much anymore. So effectively yeah. you're you're getting a pay cut. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So if you take out inflation from mm. then from the growth rate, then you get the real, real number. So right. if the, yeah, so if they got a real pay increase of five point one percent, you take out inflation and then you get a real increase of zero percent is what you would get. Mm. So we raised interest rates to mm. try and curb inflation. So if we raise wages, then won't that just kind of give people the money to pay the difference in the interest rates and then ne- therefore negate the difference in, you know, raising the interest rates? Like you raise the interest rate and then you give people more money. Mm. Now the interest rate rise doesn't really matter as much because everyone's got more money to pay their mortgage. Yeah. I mean, there is an extent where wage increases can be self-defeating that you sort of you lift wages but then that increases costs throughout the economy which pushes prices up. So that's the spiral dynamic. Wages go up and then businesses push their prices up in response. That creates inflation. So then wages go up even further, which creates more inflation and sort of mm. you get that spiral. So that's why you talk about a wage price spiral. Um, so you can, you can be chasing your tail to, an, to a degree. It's sort of interesting because it comes at a time where the labor market is really tight. So, so we're talking about the awards. There's like 180,000 people on minimum wage and another 2.6 million across 121 awards that are like all across all different industries. So it's pretty, mm. it's substantial, but it's not the entire market. And so a lot of it depends on, I mean, what it is, it is true that what happens with the minimum wage determines wages throughout the rest of the economy. But I would imagine that right now the labor market is so tight that it's really market pressures that are determining wages in most industries it's not the it's the award's going to you know tie people who don't don't have a bargaining relationship with their employer Mm. the market's really going to determine most of what's going on and it's you know the labor market is just really tight so there's no clear definitive answer about how how much this creates a wage price spiral or, or not how else can we control inflation then so we've raised interest rates we don't want to raise wages well anthony albanese does so how else can we control inflation? Yeah, it's, it's, it's not easy. I mean, I think, I think this is why, why it's interesting about the debate, I mean, debate in inverted commas this week in the media about this whole topic is really about like, can we afford to give people a pay rise or not? And that, does that create an inflationary spiral? But you said before, business is booming, economic, you know, everyone's yeah, yeah. thriving, economic conditions are, are as good as they've ever been. 
Sure, yeah, we can afford to give people a pay rise. Well, yeah, I mean, that, that's right. That's that's the sort of, to me, is sort of the, always the elephant in the room in this conversation. You look at a look at the costs that feed into prices, the, the costs sitting behind prices. There's labour mm. costs, obviously, but then there's material costs. We know material costs are up, but we also have business profits. Business, business profits are part of that story too. But you yeah. never hear people talking about businesses are taking too much profits that's going to push up prices. You know, if a business has a moat and is able to push up prices, everyone's like, hey, let's nominate that business for an award <laughs> I'm buying <laughs> add it to the watch list yeah <laughs> yeah so there's never right. any talk about how that how that feeds into prices or like mm. yeah so or, and the massive government spending that we've seen and all the then the pork barreling that's flowed into this election so all of that's it's it's kind of it's a bit of a dumb debate in my mind and it's a bit easy to to blame people on minimum wages as being the the driver of inflation it, it feels a little lazy to me the, the people on minimum wage aren't the ones out there buying sports cars and kind of living living it up i would assume unless they did really well in crypto <laughs> All right, let's take a break there, grab a quick word from this week's sponsor. On the other side of the break, we're going to be taking a look at the terror cryptocurrency situation as well as some of your listener questions. Be back soon with more on Comedian versus Economist. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome back here on Comedian versus Economist. You can, of course, check us out on Instagram and Facebook at CVE Podcast. Thomas. I wanted to ask you about terror, not the nighttime terror. I'm talking about the terror cryptocurrency uh, and its partner in crime, Luna. Mm. What on earth has been going on there? Are you across this? Yeah. I mean, I've, I've read a lot about it in the last few days and mm. it just seems like there's so many dimensions to this story. It's like, yeah, it's a classic crypto story. But yeah, Terra has collapsed. It's a Terra was a stable coin, so it was a peg to the to the US dollar. Mm. And yeah, it's collapsed. It's dead. And Luna, its sister um, cryptocurrency, is also dead. So it's collapsed as well. It was it was trading at one hundred and sixteen dollars. This is Luna. Luna was yeah, and yeah, now, yeah. now it's zero. So zero. Yeah, it's gone. Too. It's not zero. And in fact, <laughs> I just yesterday because I started looking into this as well. So I decided to sell off some of my lower conviction crypto coins and buy a little bit of Luma, Luna. Just <laughs> I, bought, I bought $12 worth yesterday and I've now got $8 worth of Luna. <laughs> but if it returns to anywhere near its uh, dizzying highs and, uh, and Do Kwan, the uh, founder of 
of Luna and Terra. He seems pretty confident he can bring this. He can turn the ship around. So if he does, I'm just saying I'm gonna. I want to be in it. Fucker, <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Take a punt. Why not? Yeah. This is not. This is not zero, but it's not statistically different from zero either. Yeah. It was at 20 cents, I think, when I bought it. Oh, right. Yeah. I think it's, yeah, well down on that. I just like being involved. I just like taking part. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So what happened? So so it's a stable coin. Yeah. So stable coins. It obviously isn't a stable coin. It's not. It's the opposite of stable. It's not even a coin, actually. (laughs) Unless it was like a horse stable, maybe it was. um, No. So stable coins, like I know if people are coming new to this, so... The, someone talked about it being like the the chips at a casino is what you play mm. with when you're in the crypto casino, right? So you don't have to conv- you don't have to actually use fiat money. So you can get into the crypto mm. system, use your stable coins coins to trade in and out of trades, and then when you want to cash in, then you go and go and trade your stable coins for for fiat. So that's the idea of how 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 they work. Yeah, it's all about like the idea. I think is that you can then essentially you you don't have to worry about the volatility. <laughs> Lol, uh, you don't have to worry about the volatility of the market because it's a stable coin. So, but you get all the all the privacy and transactability mm. of crypto. So you can buy things internationally. You can you know it becomes less mm. uh, more difficult to trace your transactions and all those crypto decentralized benefits. Mm. But you get this rock solid stability. Um, of the US dollar or whatever other yeah. uh, pegged currency you've got. I think that 70% of Bitcoin purchases are made using Tether. Tether is like the biggest stable coin in the market. Mm. Um, yeah, and it's 70%. Which also of, fell off a cliff, but then that's managed yeah, to, lost its, to lost. regain its peg. Yeah. And so it's now back pegging against the US dollar. Mm. But Terra, not so much. No, no. So what are the what are the implications for the crypto space? I mean, I think this is really interesting. I think the big one is whether these stable coins will stay stable. And like in, in a sort of currency sense, they're pegged. Like we have throughout history, we've often pegged currencies. You peg one, one currency to another in terms of mm. its value. And then the central bank, you know, maintains that value through buying and selling or whatever it's doing or capital controls. So it's kind of, it's a peg. So pegs historically have often run into trouble. So the so the parallel a lot of people were talking about is the exchange rate mechanism crisis back in 1992. So this is when George Soros broke the Bank of England. So the bank, Ooh. the pound, the pound was pegged to the mark through the exchange rate mechanism. So everywhere, every all the European countries sort of had were running fixed exchange rates with each other. But it seemed everyone thought that the pound was overvalued and that it was that it needed to be needed to devalue. But what happens with a peg is you get what George Soros called a one-way bet. So you can short the currency, but there's no there's no risk that the currency is going to move because the worst, you know. So you you take a short bet. You bet the price is going to fall. The worst case mm. scenario is that the peg is peg holds and the currency doesn't change value at all, and then you're mm. only up for the interest cost you've had to pay to borrow borrow the money to for your short. But so it's like you compare that with like when you're shorting, you know, GameStop or something or AMC when you got that short squeeze. The risk, you, you know, you bet that the stock price is going to fall, but then the stock price goes up. You're exposed to sort of infinite risk there. Mm. Um, but not with with a peg. The only risk is that it stays steady. It doesn't actually fall, and so it creates this one way one way bet where you can short the. This is what George Soros did. He shorted the pound. He was borrowing pounds and selling them into the market, 
um, betting that they would fall, that the pound would fall in value. If it didn't fall in value, it was just he knew what the outcome was going to be. There was no, there's no risk. It was going to the pound was going to go up. Um, so it was a one-way bet, and so he piled on. People saw what he was doing. It created a bit of a rush. The whole forex market piled on, and eventually it broke the broke, broke the Bank of England. The Bank of England had to raise rates. They raised it by 200 basis points in the morning and then another 200 basis points in, in the evening, Whoa. in the afternoon. Yeah, 400 in a day trying to, trying to defend this peg. And eventually there was so much money betting against them that they just gave up and let, let the pound let the pound <laughs> Declared fall. bankruptcy. Declared bankruptcy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they let the pound fall. They let the pound fall, yeah, yeah. At which, right. point, at which point George Soros's short bet then... Mm. turned out to be a winner and he he, he banked a billion dollars out of that trade really uh, one trade apparently yeah biggest biggest trade in history yeah so wow. it became That's super famous and then all countries were very nervous about pegs from that point on particularly when there's downside <laughs> pressure which there yeah which there is and so this is what people are talking now that this is what happened to terror is that were, there was a short bet against terror effectively it was a little bit more engineered than that through Bitcoin, mm. but that, yeah, it was an it was an attack because people didn't think it could hold because part of the way, like it operates, it was algorithmic, so it's not backed by anything. Like Tether has is theoretically at least backed, it's backed by, by Luna. <laughs> yeah, Terra was backed by Luna, which is like yeah. a, a cryptocurrency, which kind of works when when Luna's rising, but when once Luna starts falling. Then you create mm. this death spiral where they've they had to print more Luna to try and prop up the currency, which devalues Luna, which undermines the value of the of Terra. And because that, that was my that was my understanding of the situation was Luna was used as like a, I think they call it a governance token. Mm-hmm. The, essentially, they control the price of Terra by by controlling the supply of Luna. So they would just print more Luna. Increase, you know, liquidity mm. in the market, increase supply in the market, which which brought the cost down, and then, and then they would burn tokens if they needed to to reduce supply and push the cost up. Mm. But then they they started heading the wrong way, and so they just started like printing Luna like it was going out of fashion, mm. but realized that there was nobody to buy the Luna anymore. Mm. So. Then they just it went to zero. Luna's supply went from three hundred and forty-five million dollars at the start of last week to end with mm. six point five trillion Luna in circulation <laughs> by the end it's of the week. It's not working. <laughs> yeah, and at that point they just gave up. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. man! I mean, the funny thing is, algorithmic pegs have, have failed already in the market and they also have, it's a theory this death spiral exists in markets mm. in other financial instruments so it's kind of well known and so people have been talking about it for a while it's not a shock like people mm. were people were but it was pointing a long to this time weakness. ago thomas it was but a long that, time ago that these things happened i don't know who george <laughs> soros is but i know what crypto is <laughs> Yeah, and you can guarantee that the the Reddit forums that are spruiking crypto and the Twitter feeds, we have Kenny G talking about buying bullish on uh, Luna, that he's mm. probably not across the George Soros situation. So I mean, that's what it looks like. Like you, some of the, some of the analysis that I'm reading is pretty condescending about the way this peg was structured. <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's quite funny. Oh, I mean, I'm having a good laugh. But yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's, it's pretty full on. But I think it's interesting because this now, I think, puts pressure on the other pegs, so uh, other stable coins. So Terra had about 10% of the total stable coin market cap. Mm. Tether's the 
biggest at saying it's 46 percent or something like that but you know if you, if you can break something that's 10 percent of the market like what's the stop you breaking something that's 46 percent mm. and there are different structure in the sense that tether is supposedly you know, it's collateralized so you you buy one dollar's worth of tether you give tether a dollar and then that, that it sticks that in the bank or it buys a treasury bond or something like that. Mm. But a lot of people are like, there's a lot of red flags around. What did what business, Insi business Insider ran an article saying that Tether looks like a business that's a quilt made up of entirely of red flags? <laughs> <laughs> and there's no, there's no auditing, yeah, right. like there's no, there's no transparency about where Tether is keeping its reserves and whether it can defend itself or whether it, there even is the money there. Could be in Bitcoin. Could be, yeah, which is what Luna went and did to try and defend itself, bought a whole bunch of Bitcoin. <laughs> <laughs> and then Bitcoin yeah. went down. Because everything, like, everything went down. So yeah, is, there any, is, there, is there any implications here for the broader market? Like is it, is it, could it spread beyond crypto or is this just another kind of crazy crypto story? Um, yeah, I think, I mean, I think risk for crypto is that you see an attack on Tether and mm. there's massive, massive selling on Tether, then Tether, ha Tether has to come up with its reserves. And it depends on how liquid those reserves are. If it is in government debt paper, as they say that it is, um, mm. then, they're, then, they're, then they're going to be all right. But a lot of people saying that there's no evidence that that's the case and they think that it's, they're speculating in Chinese real estate paper and things like this. So <laughs> it'll be interesting if, it, if, it, if there is an attack on Tether. Because as I saying, it's a, it's a one-way bet. You know, Tether either holds its peg or it falls. There's no downside if you're shorting or you've got the interest, your interest, interest expense. There's no downside right. to it. You know, and they're saying people, people attack, seems that people attacked Terra. So what's to stop people attacking Tether and then doing it in a group, which is what Soros happened. Once Soros says, I'm doing this, everyone like, oh, yeah, one way bet. I'm with you. Like hmm. throw 20 billion at it. No worries. Yeah, so they could go after Tether. All his snail mail followers that were tuned into his, news, his newsletter. <laughs> if Tether goes down, so Tether's, yeah, so that's, there's something like 70% of Bitcoin purchases are in, in, done in Tether. Tether's daily trading volume is higher than Bitcoin and Ethereum combined. So that's a big story in the market. And the, less liquid assets are worth less. That's just the general rule in finance. The less liquid an asset is, the less it's worth, other things being mm. equal. So that then puts a lot of pressure on the whole crypto space, I would think. And then the question then is, like, does this bleed into the financial system? And for the moment, people don't seem too worried about that. But, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Like I was reading someone saying, like, you know, you look at crypto's market cap, it's down from $3 trillion at its peak last year. It's now down to just over $1 trillion. So $2 trillion has been wiped from the market. You break that down, about $1 trillion is your retail mum and dad investors and your crypto chads. They've lost a trillion. But the other mm. trillion is institutional investors. And if you look at Coinbase's... Um, trading volumes in 2021, th uh, two thirds of it was institutional. Like it used to be you know, entirely retail, but now two thirds of it were institutional last year on Coinbase, mm. Coinbase's exchange. So, and everyone was talking about, oh, institutional players are getting in, they're going great, but those institutional players are getting burned now and they've, lo they've lost $1 trillion. That mm. in itself isn't enough to um, crash the economy, but it depends on how leveraged it is because you had $1 trillion highly leveraged during the GFC. That's what caused the GFC. So $1 trillion, if it's leveraged, is enough to cause some serious problems. But, we, mm. yeah, we don't really know yet. So, yeah, depends on that. But Could be a few more people institutionalised before <laughs> this is all over, I reckon. <laughs>
All right, Thomas, we've got a few more listener questions just to finish off with today. Lucy sent us a message via Instagram at CVE Podcast. Lucy has an election theme question. Uh, she said, are there any stats to fact check the widely held opinion that, right, that the right side of politics is a safer pair of hands for the economy? Hmm. I wasn't aware of this. I thought they yeah. were both hopeless. <laughs> I think that's probably right. Yeah, it's, it is, it's, a, it's a bit of a, I think I, I would say a myth or like at least a gross generalisation that the, the right's better at legend. managing the economy than, than the left. I mean, even those terms are, are becoming less and less meaningful. Yeah, there's no sort of, there's no way to fact check it. I mean, part of the problem is that it's very difficult to, to separate economic outcomes from who's in charge at the time because, you mm. know, if you look at sort of the inflation rate at the end of the year and Labor takes power in May, is Labor then responsible for the inflation rate at the end of the year, it's kind of hard to make that sense, make make an argument because a lot of the policy measures were in place when they took off took office. Mm. But then, at what point does Labor become responsible for the economic outcomes? Um, is it in eighteen months? Is it in two years? Three years? Five years? Whatever. It's sort of there's no clear point, you know, to say yeah, this this economic result is attributable to this party and this one's attributable to that party. There's no sort of clear way to do that. Unless you ask the the Liberals, in which case it was day one. Day one. <laughs> day yeah. one. As soon yeah. as you took the reins, that was it. You yeah. ruined it. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's and right. vice versa. That's not a yeah. Yeah. So yeah. in our in our introductory series we talked about the economic dashboard and the kind of things we care about. So unemployment rate, GDP, inflation being the big ones. And you can sort of point to those, but yeah, so one, it's hard to attribute, attribution is kind of hard, but then two, like how much do you even care? Like inflation could be good or it could be bad. It really depends on what's going on. And these things are kind of proxy measures for well-being, but kind of pretty loose proxies really, like they don't really capture I think you them. also made the comment that the government like doesn't have that much influence over the the economy. Yeah, I don't think I don't think so. I don't think it's, it's overhyped. It's definitely overhyped. Yeah. It definitely matters. It definitely matters, but it's definitely mm. overhyped to think that you know, there's no meeting of them getting together in cabinet going, "How do we manage the economy this month?" It's <laughs> <laughs> not it's not a thing. All right. Well, hopefully that's uh hopefully that's answered your question, Lucy. I'm not sure it has, but uh, mm. I think Maybe well, no, the, is the answer no. that the answer is no. The answer is no. No, there's no there's no good way to fact check that. that there I'm, we go. That we got there of. in the end. <laughs> yes, sorry, <laughs> sorry to take such a long road to get there. She did us a favour. She had a nice, short, succinct question, <laughs> and we waffled on for five minutes, and then said no. All right, um, Tiffany sent us an email: uh, cve at equitymates.com. Tiffany's looking at rental prices and wondering when the hell a rental price is going to calm down. Mm. She was on the lookout though for um, some data showing rental prices over over time, over a long period of time. So we're talking decades. It seems like she can only find stuff over the last sort of year or so. Anywhere you know of, we can get we can see rental data for like the last decade. Decade, decades not very long. Well, decades then. Decades. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, <laughs> decade slash S. <laughs> You're splitting hairs here. Uh, she yeah. did. Um, no. Tiffany did mention mm. that, that she was curious to know how much, like, how fifty dollars could be could buy a mansion in eighteen eighty. So, um, I think I think Tiffany's after as far back as we can go. 
Yeah, right, right. Yeah, no, I don't. We, no, we can't do eighteen eighty. Um, what we can do, I did a little digging. Um, the CPI data has has a rent component, so you can you look mm. at that. Uh, if you want to make a note of this, Tiffany, if you go to Table Seven of the CPI Group <laughs> Expenditure Class, um, yeah, Sheet <laughs> Tab Data One, Column BC, that has rents going back to September 1972. That's that's as far back as the, uh, I'm aware. There's probably maybe someone's tried to calculate some analytical series, but man, going back to 1880. Like you're talking, we, we were using the pound back then, so it's a whole different currency. Can't see any listings for the bell tower in, <laughs> in the real estate postings at the local market. Looking to rent out my bell tower would, would serve as great as a granny flat or other short-term accommodation. Yeah, yeah. Maybe check on Airbnb. Uh, all right. Well, there you go, Tiffany. Hopefully that answered your question. You might have to go back and re-listen to that bit uh, a few times just to, to follow the breadcrumbs through that data, but hopefully that helps you out. Uh, thank you so much for listening once again. We really do appreciate it. Um, a final reminder to go and leave us a review and, and rate the show wherever you get your podcasts. And, of course, don't forget to check out all the other great podcasts from Equity Mates Media. Get started investing, Equity Mates Investing Podcast. You're in good company. Talk money to me. Uh, crypto curious and now the dive joining this joining the stable uh only recently which is great if you haven't tuned into that yet uh and of course don't forget finfest last week i said it was happening october 22nd i don't know where i got that from uh it's october the 16th head to equitymates.com forward slash finfest for more information until next week uh that's all we've got for you today we look forward to talking to you again then bye for now Comedian vs. Economist is a product of Equity Mates Media. All information in this podcast is for education and entertainment purposes only. It is not intended as a substitute for professional finance, legal, or tax advice. The hosts of Comedian vs. Economist are not financial professionals and are not aware of your personal financial circumstances. Before making any financial decisions, you should read the product disclosure statement and, if necessary, consult a licensed financial professional. Do not take financial advice from a podcast. For more information, head to the disclaimer page on the Equitymates website where you can find ASIC resources and find a registered financial professional near you. In the spirit of reconciliation, Equitymates Media and the hosts of Comedian vs Economist acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people today.